Well, good evening uh, to you all. I have my own welcome to that of Alan's at the start of the service. Uh, it's great to have you with us on this uh, Easter Sunday evening. May I pray for us. Uh, Lord Jesus, you are alive. Uh, you are uh, with us. Uh, you're with us by your Spirit, uh, the Spirit of Truth. And we always need your Spirit to understand your Word. Uh, but we know that we especially need him this evening. A difficult passage. Uh, we pray that he would make known to us what you uh, want to say to us and give us the ears to hear and the hearts to receive it. For your glory's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, they are some of the most famous words in uh, sports broadcasting. Uh, Fifty years ago this summer, England were in the final of the Football World, Club, World Cup. They were playing at West Germany. Uh, they were leading 3-2 in extra time. Uh, you know what's happening. Some of you will probably remember watching it or listening to it. Suddenly, striker Jeff Hurst uh, charges down the field, and commentator Kenneth Walsenholm describes it for us, and this is what he said. Uh, some people are on the pitch. Join in. They think it's all over. It is now, absolutely, and you don't need me to tell what happened. Uh, Hurst scored, he made it 40, uh, and England lifted the World Cup uh, for the first and, uh, sorry, only time, we should probably pass over that, there we go. (laughs) They think it's all over, might be a pretty good summary of where we've got to in the letter to the Romans, uh, if we've been reading it over the last few weeks. Uh, uh, Last week, we, we were left on a pretty difficult note, if you were with us. Uh, Paul explained to us that God has hardened the hearts of the Jewish people. They've rejected the Lord Jesus. Their hearts have been hardened. And if you've uh, got your Bibles open, and it'd be great if you could, we're on page 1138, Romans chapter 11. Uh, Paul explained to us last week that their eyes are darkened, their backs are bent forever. They've rejected Christ, and their hearts have been hardened. And we could be justified, I think, in thinking, well, it it looks like it's all over for the Jewish people. I mean, where do you go after that? God has hardened their hearts. They've rejected him. Where do we go? But as Paul wonderfully explains, in, in this difficult passage, and it is a difficult passage, God does have a plan. It's not all over. It's not all over for the Jews. It's not all over for the non Jews, the Gentiles. He's got a plan. Well, let's uh, dive in, shall we? And I think, first of all, Paul starts by giving a word of reassurance uh, to Israel. A word of reassurance to Israel. It is this hardening that he's spoken about the end. And he starts, verse 11, he says, no, it's not. In fact, he says, astonishingly, it's actually been the cause of the good news of Jesus Christ being taken to the Gentiles or to the non-Jews. Verse 11, you can see with me. Uh, Rather, Paul says, because of their transgressions, because of the the, the Jews' uh, sin, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Uh, Even in the midst of rebellion, something good has happened. Because Paul goes on to explain, he says, actually, Israel still benefits from this. Uh, Because as the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ goes to the non-Jews, as the non-Jews respond to the good news of Jesus, then so the Jews will see that 
And as Paul explains here, they they will become envious. Uh, They will see the gospel at work, and so in turn they will respond to Jesus themselves. Uh, I I read a story of uh, an army chaplain in the war who was uh, was attached to his unit. Uh, He was uh, obviously a Christian. Uh, He didn't know what he could do apart from try as best he could uh, to present the gospel to the men that he was serving. Uh, He didn't think he was very effective. Uh, But actually, as the men in his unit saw the gospel at work in his life, they saw the difference that it made. It It was obvious that there was something different about him. Uh, One by one, uh, the men in that unit started coming to faith. Uh, They said, basically, I I want what he's got. There's something different. I I want that as well. And I think that's a sense of what's happening here that Paul's explaining. He he says that as the Jewish people see the effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ on the non-Jews, they want that as well, and they'll respond to it. it. It is incredible, isn't it? what Paul is describing here. God has used even the rebelliousness of Israel to further the cause of the gospel across the world. It's no wonder that Paul talks about it here as being riches for the world. He says it, doesn't he, in verse 12. There's transgression. Israel's transgression means riches for the world. It's absolutely mind-boggling. God has used Israel's sin and rebellion to bring salvation to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, and to the world. It explains, doesn't it, why Paul is so passionate about the mission that God has given him. And he explains a bit about that in the next section. Uh, He says that he himself is the apostle to the Gentiles. And we know that through the New Testament. Uh, He was uh, the main figure who was charged with taking the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, uh, to the non-Jewish world. What a great mission to have, of course. But Paul is excited because he knows that as he takes the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, so too will his Jewish brothers and sisters find salvation as well. He puts it here, doesn't he, wonderfully well, so suitable for Easter. He says they will know life from the dead. They will find out that Jesus has died, he's he's alive, and they too will pass from death to life. As Paul obeys Jesus by telling the world about him, uh, he knows that the fruits of his mission won't just be that non-Jews become Christians, uh, as amazing as that is, but also the Jews will as well, his own people. Uh, Many Jews will return to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though Israel have rebelled against God, God in his, his, his sovereignty is still able to use that rebellion to show mercy to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and then also, amazingly, lets it overflow to the Jews as well. What, what might have seemed like disaster has actually turned out for blessing. Uh, in our back garden at home, we've got um, several large trees, and a couple of months ago, the diocese finally came round, uh, having badgered them for, for ages, to come and cut, cut them down. They'd got very, very large. They were blocking out all the sunlight from the garden. The lawn was covered in moss, and I kept phoning them up to ask them to come and cut them down. Anyway, the, uh, the, the man from the diocese came round, and he spent a morning hacking them back. And I have to confess, at the end of the morning, I, I went out to sort of see what had been done, and I was a, a, a bit shocked he really had hacked these trees completely back, uh, almost, it felt like, to, to, to the stumps. 
And you never want to question someone's professional judgment, do you? But I, but I have to confess at this moment, I, I did sort of ask, I sort of said something like, oh, that's quite a, quite a lot, isn't it? You, you haven't done too much, you know? You, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, I'm not a tree surgeon. And he said, well, don't worry, mate, the trees will grow back, and what's more, the rest of the garden will as well. And actually, of course, he's been proved right. The, the trees are already starting to grow back, uh, and actually the rest of the garden has started to grow as well. The, the lawn is growing, it's not moss anymore. Uh, we've got some flowers there that I never knew existed. Uh, what seemed like something bad has actually turned out for uh, something better. Uh, Paul is desperately concerned for the state of the Jews. Uh, he's a Jew himself. He's longing that his people should be saved. Uh, given what he sees, he, he must have been tempted to despair. He must have thought it was all over. But no, he knows that, that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him. He knows that God in his sovereignty is able to use even the rebellion of Israel to bring a greater blessing of drawing Jews and non-Jews into his family. What a gracious, sovereign God we have. God has not given up on the Jews. He's not given up on the non-Jews either. But he longs for all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. It's customary around this time of year in the uh, Book of Common Prayer to pray for the salvation of the Jews. If you get an old prayer book, you'll see that one of the prayers that's set for Good Friday is a prayer for the salvation of the Jews. Uh, And that should be our prayer as well this evening. We should pray along with with the prayer book. We should pray for the Jewish people that God would be merciful, just as Paul is longing, that he should take from them all hardness of heart, he should take from them spiritual blindness... He should bring them home and gather them into his one flock under his one shepherd. That's a word of reassurance, isn't it, for the Jewish people. Secondly, Paul gives a word of warning, uh, this time to the Gentiles. He gives a word of warning, this time to the Gentiles. Of course, in writing Romans, uh, Paul is mostly speaking to a a Gentile uh, church family. It was in Rome. There wouldn't have been many Jews, if any, really, in this uh, congregation. And I think he's very aware that as he's writing all this, uh, there is the potential that they could grow a bit smug. They could say, well, we've accepted Jesus. Look look at us, pat ourselves on the back. We've accepted Jesus, unlike the synagogue uh, down the road. And Paul doesn't want that to happen. So he warns them. Uh, He warns them not to be smug uh, by using a gardening uh, illustration. You can see it from uh, verse 16. He starts talking about trees and branches. What on earth is he going on about? Well, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the prophets very often compared the, the people of Israel uh, with an olive tree. It wasn't very surprising. Uh, olive trees were probably the most common. They were certainly one of the most useful uh, plants in the Mediterranean. Uh, and, and Paul kind of picks up on this ancient imagery. Uh, he picks up on it and he imagines the, the, the Jewish people, Israel, as an olive tree, and then he does something funny with it. He, he imagines the, the, the kind of the Gentiles as being kind of wild branches from the desert, and he imagines God taking them and grafting them in some way onto this, this healthy olive tree. Uh, I'm not a gardener at all, as you can tell in my previous illustration, um, 
But uh, I'm told that if you're a gardener, this doesn't seem to quite work. It's not quite how you do it. You don't take dead branches and graft them onto a live one. I think it's something like the other way around, but you might be able to correct me afterwards. But I think we can understand what Paul is getting at here, can't we? Uh, By God's grace, these wild, dead Gentile branches have been grafted onto the healthy, living, uh, lush olive tree in order to live again. And I think Paul uses this illustration to to, to tell us that there are three reasons why non-Jews can't boast over the Jews. Uh, The first one is very, very simple, really. Uh, It's very simply that they are dependent, of course, on the root. They're dependent on the root. He says, uh, verse 18, uh, you do not support the root, rather the root supports you. In other words, what he's saying is that non-Jews can only be saved because of God's faithfulness to the promises that he made to the Jewish people down the years. God made countless promises that we have recorded for us in the Old Testament that he would send a saviour. At the end of the day, actually, his saviour was a Jew himself. Paul is saying, guys, you are dependent on, on, on this route. If it wasn't for the Jewish people, there would be no salvation for anyone at all. You've got no reason to boast. Uh, he goes on. That there's the second reason, he says, that, that, that for not being arrogant, is that because all that the non-Jews, the Gentiles, enjoy, all that we enjoy, is because of God's undeserved kindness to us in Christ. Uh, again and again, through the book of Romans, Paul has been reminding us, until we've got sick of it, Uh, that we are never saved through our own efforts, but solely through the mercy of God, through trusting God's kindness to us, shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross. Uh, It it is through faith, and he says that here. He reminds them in uh, verse 20, you guys, you stand by faith. You're in the position that you're in because you have trusted in the promises of God and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The great failure of Israel, Paul explains, was that they didn't trust in those promises. They'd heard them, but they'd made no difference. They never recognised Christ for who he was, sadly. And Paul explains what happened. Verse uh, 20, they were broken off because of unbelief. They didn't believe. It's as simple as that. They heard the promises, they saw the Christ, they never believed that he was the Messiah who God had always promised. And Paul extends that, and he warns the Gentiles. He says that, well, you look at the Jews, and that was what happened to the Jews. They, they didn't believe. Guys, that could very easily be you. It could be your face if you're not careful. Verse 21. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. If God did not spare the natural branches, then he will not spare you either. At every step, he says, we are saved not by our own efforts, but by God's grace. By trusting in his promises. It's always the way we stand Uh, by faith. It's God's kindness, and God's kindness never leaves room for boasting. He goes on, reason three. He says that the reason that we shouldn't be arrogant is because, in fact, it's actually easier for Jews to be saved than non-Jews, astonishingly. Uh, He says this, uh, verses 23 and onwards. Uh, He explains, well, after all, already they they know the promises of God to send a saviour. They'd heard the prophets, they had the law. Uh, They knew that God was going to work, they should have recognised him. It's a lot easier for them 
to be saved. All we have to do is believe those promises, just as God had always intended for that to be so. Ultimately, Paul says it's not over for the Jews. Uh, So there's no room for Gentile boasting. There's never any room for boasting in the gospel. One person who realised that he could never boast about his rescue uh, was the hymn writer John Newton. I don't know how much you know about John Newton, but in his very early life, he was a slave trader. uh, And he was notorious for his callous brutality towards the slaves uh, who were in his care. Uh, amazingly, through, through God's wonderful grace, he found the Lord Jesus. Uh, he saw his sin. He turned to Christ. Uh, he found forgiveness. And he wound up uh, being ordained as a vicar. And so overwhelmed was he by God's kindness to him uh, that he wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, and one we most of us have sung, I'm sure, at some point in our life. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That is a man who knew that he had no grounds for boasting for salvation. And if we've understood the good news of the Bible, then that should be our response as well, shouldn't it? Because the Bible tells us that, that by rights, we're God's enemies. We're children of objects of wrath, as the Bible explains. All of us have ignored God's ways, and because of that, we deserve his judgment. We might not like to think of it like that, but, but we do. And yet the Bible goes on to explain that in his loving kindness, God sent his son, Jesus, to bear the punishment that we deserved on the cross. Uh, to rise again three days later, to, uh, to triumph over death and sin, and to rescue you and me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We don't deserve it. None of us do. All of it is because of God's grace to us, his totally undeserved kindness. Uh, And Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament, if there's anything, guys, that you should be boasting in, it's that. May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's all we have to boast about. We were singing it earlier, weren't we? But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. Uh, Paul warns the Gentiles, guys, don't boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, and finally, uh, Paul draws things together by giving a word of promise to all. A word of promise to all. Uh, We've seen him, he's addressed the Jewish situation, he's addressed the Gentile situation, uh, and he's drawing his argument to a close, and he starts to kind of pan back and look at the big picture. God's master plan of salvation, and he describes it here as as a mystery, uh, the mystery of the gospel. And with it, he says, there is a wonderful promise for all. And he's going to start to explain uh, what that means. Uh, At the moment, uh, he says, uh, many of the Jewish people have been hardened. Verse 25, he explains, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Uh, Israel has been hardened. But at the same time, during this period, uh, God in his wonderful grace is causing a great number of non-Jews or or Gentiles to respond uh, to the gospel. They are being saved. The the full number of the Gentiles has come in. uh, The people uh, that God has chosen for salvation. But he says wonderfully, it's not over for the Jewish people. Uh, Why? Because he says that in the goodness of God, at some point, verse 26... 
so all Israel will be saved. Uh, We can't be completely sure about what Paul means here. Um, You read the big books, I think there's virtually an opinion on it for every single commentary that's ever been written on the book of Romans. Uh, We don't know exactly uh, what he means. Uh, But it does seem that he's implying that that at some point in history, uh, there will be a number of the Jewish people uh, who will turn to Christ at last and find salvation. I don't think he means all Israel as in every single Jew that's ever lived. I don't think that's the way he's talking about it. But I think he is suggesting that it will be a significant number. There will be a turning to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to explain that actually that isn't something that we should be surprised about. Because, of course, it's something that God has promised to his people uh, from long ago. Uh, He says, uh, verse uh, 28... As far as election is concerned, they are loved. The Jewish people are loved on account of the patriarchs. Uh, He's thinking back to the great promises that God made to Abraham and to uh, to Jacob and to Isaac, to the the great figures of Israel's history. You remember Abraham was promised by God that he would be the father of many nations. It was talking about, uh, uh, about the gospel and people responding to the gospel from all different uh, backgrounds. Uh, He says, he quotes here directly from the prophet Isaiah, from verse uh, 26. That the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them, when I take away my sins. It was the promise of the prophet. One day God would send his deliverer. The one he'd always promised. The one who would come, who would deal with Israel's sin once and for all. He would set set up uh, the new covenant in his blood. And the Jewish people will see Jesus, their rescuer, and they will turn to him, turn away from their sin, and find forgiveness. Ultimately, Paul sums it up wonderfully, right at the very end of that section that we read, and you can see it in verse 32. God has bound all men over his disobedience, that he may have mercy on them all. Uh, All of us, he says, whether we're Jews or non-Jews, whoever you are, you're shut up in the dungeon of your disobedience. That's the just consequence for rejecting God. We have to pay for that. Uh, We're enslaved to our sin. We're facing judgment. And yet in his mercy, by the cross of Jesus Christ, God has broken the chains of sin. He's unlocked the cell door, and we are free. He's let us go. He's had mercy on us all. None of us deserve it. It's solely because of his amazing love and kindness. All we have to do is trust him and believe him. That is our Easter hope, isn't it, friends? Uh, If we're Christians this evening, we know that we're not still locked in the dungeon of our sin and our disobedience. Uh, Christ has come and he's set us free. Free to be Uh, free from our sin, free to serve him, free to worship him, free to praise him, free to be his people. That is good news, isn't it? Uh, It's said that Frederick the Great, who was an emperor of Prussia uh, many years ago, asked his chaplain once to give him, in one sentence, the strongest evidence that he could that Christianity was true. And you know what the chaplain replied? The Jews, sir. The Jews. Think about it. 
God's promise of mercy made to them over thousands of years. His constant faithfulness and love down the ages. Even when uh, the Bible records how they'd gone away from him, they turned their back on the God who loved them, who formed them for himself. Ultimately among them came, from them came the Saviour, that God might have mercy on all, just as Paul says. That's why we're praising God this Easter. In the Lord Jesus, he's shown his mercy to us. He offers us the chance to be forgiven, to be set free from sin, to be part of his people. Friends, don't miss out. Don't miss out this Easter. Uh, It's yours. We can have mercy. God has mercy on all uh, if we will accept it. They think it's all over. It's not. Not for the Jews, not for us this evening. God is working his purposes out, creating a people for himself, for his praise and for his glory. He's bound over all men to disobedience in order that he may have mercy on them all. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we praise you so much that it's not all over. Thank you. It's not all over for Israel. It's not all over for us. Thank you that you have had mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in your goodness you, have, you sent him to be our saviour. I thank you that by your Spirit you have opened our eyes to our sin. You've enabled us to see Jesus for who he is and to turn from him. Thank you that we are free this evening if we are trusting in him. And we pray for all that we know, uh, whether they are Jews or non-Jews, all those who do not know you, we pray that you will have mercy on them. Uh, Unlock the door, we pray. Uh, May they be free to be part of your people. Uh, to know you and love you just as you desire. Amen.